Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. The title race is well and truly afoot in Ligue 1 as Lyon beat PSG 1-0 at the Parc des Princes to go joint top with Lille, while Marseille beat Nico Kovac's Monaco to go within two points of first with two games in hand. However, a weekend uh, full of on-pitch highlights has been somewhat overshadowed by headlines off it. Uh, the farce with Ligue 1 broadcasting rights holder Media Pro continues as their dedicated channel, uh, Telefoot's La Chaine, is set to imminently shut down, uh, costing many their jobs, leaving the top two divisions of French football without a domestic broadcaster for the most part, and plunging many clubs into financial uncertainty. We'll be discussing all of the above, as well as reacting to the European draw for Ligue 1's continental representatives and looking ahead to a round of midweek fixtures. I'm Jake Smales, and joining me for this very busy week are Eric Devin and Philippe Vargiel. Um, but sadly, we must start with some very tragic news. Legendary French coach Gérard Houllier has passed away at the age of 73. After a modest playing career in the lower divisions of French football, Houllier worked his way up to becoming the head coach of Lens and then Paris Saint-Germain in the 1980s, winning PSG their first league title in 1986. He spent most of the 90s working with the French national team before joining Liverpool in 1998, uh, initially as co-manager, but then as head coach. Houllier was a revelation on Merseyside, dragging an inconsistent Liverpool into the 21st century and was elected UEFA Manager of the Year in 2001 after guiding them to five trophies in a calendar year. The FA Cup, the League Cup, the UEFA Cup, the UEFA Super Cup and the FA Charity Shield. Uh, after leaving in 2004, Ulier joined Lyon a year later, guiding Legon to two league titles. He went on to work behind the scenes in the France setup, guide Aston Villa to a top 10 finish in the Premier League, help get the Red Bull football project off the ground in New York, and worked as an external advisor for former club Lyon more recently. But perhaps Ulier's greatest achievement is the lasting impression he has made on those around him. Tributes have been pouring in from all corners of the footballing globe, highlighting not just his legacy in France and England, but how, no matter what the circumstance, his kindness and warmth touched everyone he came into contact with. Um, Eric, I've kind of given my answer there to this question, I suppose, but Lyon's North American fan club have asked us on Twitter what our thoughts are on, on Gerard Houllier and the legacy that he's left in, in French football. So I just wanted to get your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, clearly this is a this is a manager who I, I think you know, given the success he's had across the country and uh, the role he's continued to play at Lyon, uh, both with the men's and the women's team, I think he's he's someone whose intelligence and foresight have made a huge impact in the game. But again, you know, what's universally being expressed from the likes of uh, Jean-Luc Basseur, uh, Jean-Michel Lasse, is uh, you know what a fantastic human being he was. Uh, that his that you know, Olas is, is on record as saying, you know, we, we had plans not not just on the football pitch, but not just, but also uh, as friends. And and he's someone who meant everything to Leon, who was always always ready to do anything for Leon, um, and who was just a tremendous servant to the club, um, you know, and and really and really made a difference and really impacted the lives of those around him. And I think that. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a tragic passing in a year that's had too many for a variety of reasons, obviously. But uh, I, I think that he is he's being you know well remembered in, in a very powerful way. It's the headline on on the Guardian as well, for example. And I think that um, you know, that speaks volumes to uh, the character he was and the impact that he had in people's lives, both on and off the pitch. 
yeah the tributes have been um have been you know in in the hundreds from from prominent figures throughout the world in in football even even you know people you may not have have expected so much you know i saw a a tribute from uh, jesse march the american coach of uh red bull salzburg you know who who obviously knew julio from his time at, in new york and you know he was he was extremely emotional talking about how you know how 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 tragic it was to have lost such a such an incredible friend and that was what you know the the, the word that kept cropping up so many people who had this professional relationship with him um describing him in that way but but phil just perhaps you know in a in a career that spans so many different roles and and so many different moments are there a couple perhaps for you that that stand out purely in a kind of footballing sense or a, and it just to give a give a scope of you know of how 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 talented uh, uh Ulier was in so many ways in in the footballing world well this come this may be a bit surprising but to me uh, nothing comes close to the uh uh, the uh, 2000-2001 seasons that you mentioned uh, in your summary of uh, Gerard Houllier's career, with uh, where he uh, he uh, he gave uh, Steven Gerrard a start. Liverpool were not doing too good. Um, then they they went on to uh, finish, I believe, seventh, and they only managed UEFA Cup football. They went on to win the UEFA Cup. You had a a 40-year-old uh, Scotsman named Gary McAllister scoring great free kicks something he never really was known for and such a, you know, probably one of the most popular, one of the most popular Liverpool managers to, to, to date because of all the trophies he won, even though there was no Champions League, Benitez won that, there was no Premiership, uh, but uh, loads of, loads of uh, titles won, especially at Cardiff because you had the Charity Shield, you had the FA Cup. You had the League Cup. Everything was played at Cardiff, and uh, usually Liverpool were uh, were playing uh, in uh, in one of those games, and, usually, and they usually they would they they would usually win. So it's uh, yeah, it's basically to me it's the 2000-2001 season. I wasn't around for the uh, incident with uh, David Ginola against uh, this uh, World Cup qualifier against Israel. I uh, wasn't around either when he was PSG manager. Um, and I remember um, the, uh, the the campaign he had for Lyon went very very smoothly. I mean, he won the title without much uh, difficulty. Um, and yeah, to me, uh, it's 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 it has to be the 2000-2001 season, even if it may may not sound the original. Me being the Frenchman and remembering what he did in England. I think that certainly has to be the most kind of re- remarkable purely, you know, because I, I don't think that's there's been such a kind of a haul of that many trophies in a year like that for a, for a very long time, at least in, in English football. And again, he really did bring Liverpool into the 21st century in terms of reinvigorating them with a with an extra element of professionalism and consistency. So and I, I thought actually my my favourite moment of the day was there was a clip of him on on the BBC here in the UK. Um, talking about how he was uh, he was in Istanbul for the 2005 Champions League final, and he um, was invited into the dressing room to, um, at the end of the match, and the players were were hugging him. They were emotional, saying that this was his team. This was his team who'd done it, even though he wasn't wasn't the manager anymore. It was Rafael Benitez's team. He said that Benitez and the players were, you know, really kind of rallied around him in that moment. So extremely touching. Yeah, yeah I didn't know that. I didn't yeah, know that. Neither. So. That shows you kind of the impact that he's had everywhere he's been. And our thoughts obviously go out to to his loved ones at this difficult time. Let's move on to talk about 
uh, two of his former clubs returning to football. Um, two sides for whom he made a key contribution in their history, PSG and Lyon. Uh, they met at the Parc des Princes on Sunday night uh, with Lyon on four straight wins and unbeaten in 10 games uh, but without a win at the Parc des Princes in the league since the 2007-2008 season, uh, when they were last league champions. Uh, PSG were fresh out of qualifying for the Champions League uh, round of 16, having beaten Istanbul Bishak Shahir 5-1, um, and uh, coming off the back of impressive wins over Manchester United and Montpellier. But Lyon won the match 1-0 thanks to a goal from Tino Cadawere, with PSG unable to respond. Leon completely shut them out with a valiant performance, only marred at the end by a poor Thiago Mendes challenge that saw Leon saw the Leon midfielder sent off uh, following a VAR check, and perhaps more significantly saw Neymar stretched off in agony. We'll come on to that in a second, but I do want to start with the winners here. Um, Eric, this was this was Leon's first win at the Parc des Princes since 2007 in the league, uh, and they managed to restrict PSG to just one shot on target at home. Was this a masterclass from Rudy Garcia? Yeah, and I, I, I think it was. I think that more than that, too, this is... Uh, okay, as a Leon fan, I've been critical <laughs> of Genio's um, transfer policy. I, I think that... I mean, and there are still issues. I mean, let's see, you know, Joachim Anderson, I, I think, is still... You know, there's question marks surrounding him, despite him have, having had... Him, him also having had a good match at the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, the appointment of Silvino, I think, still rankles as well. Um, Yusuf Kohn, it's not as if he's... But but I think that um, this match turned on the performances of, for me, four players. Um, Jason Denier was was solid as well. I, sh- I should mention that. But you had uh, Leon playing this 4-3-3 with Thiago Mendes uh, playing at, at the base, Lucas Paqueta playing in a box-to-box role, and uh, Carl Tokokambi and Tino Kedawari playing on the playing on the flanks. Now, these are all players that Juninho has brought in, and I think they've all, there's, there's been question marks, I think, surrounding all of them. I think that Thiago Mendes, you know, really struggled last season uh, as as someone who was, I think, the third most expensive player the club had signed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he lost his place in the team to the likes of Luca Tussar and Bruno Guimaraes when he came in. Uh, I You know, I don't know that he featured more than a handful of minutes in that last eight run. He was, or final eight run, he was really a, a man without a country, as it, as it were. Really, really an outcast. Um, he was excellent, um, that late, late red card notwithstanding. Um, you had Lucas Paqueta, who, again, was, I think, when he, he came in, people were thinking, why? You know, you already have Sans Kakare, you already have Hussam Awar, you already have Bruno Guimaraes. Why do you need another ostensibly box-to-box midfielder? But I think Paqueta showed on the night that his, I mean, he, he out Marco Verratti, Marco Verratti. Uh, you know, <laughs> these are two players who are t- often tasked doing the same sort of thing to have this, you know, extra, extra, extra level of vision uh, while still being able to snap into challenges and, and do well. And, and Paqueta was superb for that. Um, you know, also had a, a pretty powerful shot that, that Navas did well to get down and block. Um, and then, you know, Carl Toko Okambi, who at the beginning of the season was being called Carl Poto Okambi, uh, you know, Poto being French for po- post. Um, for his in, in, inability to finish, uh, but he is, you know, again, he had he had the assist for Kadawari's goal last night. Uh, he's been a man transformed, and I think, you know, he was a solid striker at his best at Angers. But I think that he is an incredibly complete footballer at this point in time and doing very well under Rudy Garcia and under that with that idea of an interchangeable um, set of forwards that that he he Memphis and Kadawari can all play sort of free roles, and it can make it very hard for a defense to track. 
Uh, and they also press hard, which leads me on to the final player of that four, Tino Kedoweri, who's, uh, whose pressing and hard work uh, was incredible. He really did a lot to help Leo Dubois uh, deal with Neymar, for example. He he scored the goal, finally taken. I mean, you know, had some chances to be fluffed. He he went over, um, he shot over the goal just, just from presentable chance just before having scored. But I think, again, he's someone who people were thinking $10 million from a, a 24-year-old striker from Ligue 2. You know, yeah, he, he's, he's you know, filled his boots in love, but he's not necessarily done it on a big stage. What sort of player is this? Um, but again, you know, all four of those players are answering critics, and, and by proxy, Rudy Garcia and Janinho are. I think this is a team mm-hmm. that, you know, we've perceived as, as having been fairly negative on the biggest stage, and it's not as if they were playing champagne football last night, but there was a drive and there was a willingness to get at PSG. And and that positivity combined with the, the level of pressing and, again, some really strong performances at the back, um, I think was was really a complete performance. I think that, you know, the only player who I could say might not have had a great match uh, was Memphis. Um, you know, so it's a, it's a pretty powerful <clears throat> endorsement of the level of play that PSG had, or sorry, that Leon have developed to this point in time. I mean, it, it took some going, some getting going this season, uh, to be sure. I mean, the first month of the season is pretty uncomfortable, but I think that, you know, again, they and Marseille now not having European obligations. I mean, uh, you know, you've got any one of four teams that can win the title at this point in time, and that's that's something we've not had. Or, well, again, we're 14 matches in, and, and, and as Garcia said in his press conference, <laughs> you know, now we're a little bit more than a third of the way in. Yeah, but again, it's exciting to have teams that are willing to go toe-to-toe and play in a positive fashion um, against, you know, a team that has financial resources that, that dwarf them in, in PSG. And, um, you know, that's that's the tip of the hat to, to Janinho, that the, the players he's brought in, I, I know he was been, has been maligned, and there still are some question marks about some of the players he's brought in. Um, the attitude issues with Jennifer and Adelaide, for example, I, I think are still, still, still somewhat of an albatross. I mean, where, where does he fit into this team? Going forward, if he comes back, if uh, Nice don't take the uh, take up the option on his loan, for example. But uh, again, I think the bottom line is that this team is this team looks a lot more, co- more coherent, more versatile, and you know is, is able to get results against the likes of Mess and and Ras as as well as it is against PSG, and and that's that's really a testament. I mean, they could have you know they could have I could have won by more. I, you know, Lopez had one save to make, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Navas had 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 a handful. Um, and uh, I think that's that tells the story right there. Yeah, I thought they were I thought they were excellent. And certain things you mentioned there, I completely agree with. I thought their their pressing in particular was great, you know, which I think forced the issue if not for if not for the Cadawere's goal, then certainly for that shot that he got away before um the first the first kind of clear cut chance that he had. Um you kind of touched on it there. We were talking about talking about Janino and the players, obviously, and briefly mentioned Garcia. I, I know in your Guardian piece you mentioned that you know, Garcia was criticised for his kind of negative tactics earlier in the season and has been for several years in league. And I think it's fair to say, and 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 you touched on it there as well. Um, and we, but we got a, a question on Twitter uh, from E.G. Leon fan who asks uh, if we stick to the idea that Rudy Garcia and Leon are incompatible with one another. You know, maybe that's not an opinion that we've all shared or that's kind of been ex- unanimously expressed on this podcast. But I certainly wrote a piece when he signed, when, when Leon, uh, when he moved to Leon saying that, you know, I thought it was a, it was, thought was a, it was a bad move. And, and, and there are still elements of, of his, his tenure there, which I think perhaps there are kind of question marks over particularly kind of the way the team were playing earlier on. But I have to say, I'm kind of eating my words on that front. But 
Um, yeah, I don't know how you feel about I feel about Garcia and feel about that kind of question, Eric. Well, you know, I, I still do have some 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 questions about Garcia. I, I think that uh, I think that that mm, I think that, that that he's 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 playing the hand he was dealt, and it's it's needs must, and that makes sense. But there, I I also I also think that the way he seems to have even in a shortened season or a, sorry, a season without European football. He seems to have really uh, put Maxwell's Kakare and Ranasherki on the outside looking in. Um, mm-hmm. And the same with Sinali Diomande, who I think is impressed when he's been on the pitch. I think he, he came on last night, obviously, and so did Kakare, but um, Melvin Bard as well. I, I think that the, the fact that he is so unwilling to rotate, maybe we'll see that this week against Bress. But I think that I think that that's a little, little problematic because I think that, yes, there's pressure to get back in the Champions League. Yes, there's pressure to take advantage of it, a unique situation that's occurred as a result of the health crisis. But um, I kind of wonder that given what those players showed at various moments last season, uh, Kakare in particular, um, is is this approach going to serve to, to stunt these players' growth? Because, right, we, we want to see you, you know a year of improvement from them, um, especially with the likes of Auer and Depay uh, likely going in the summer um, or in January. Um, I think that um, we, you know, we want to see, you know, more ready-made replacements for them. Um, and I'm not saying that the Cherokee and, and Kakare are like-for-like replacements for Awar, but to have a level of continuity there and, and to keep, you know, burnishing these young players. Um, and that's a source of frustration that, because I think historically we look at, you know, players who have been integral to Leon's success, you know, I mean, I think their last, for me, their last really strong team was... Uh, Again, I know a run to the Champions League semifinal is is impressive, but I don't think that was necessarily a strong team. I think they they you know hit the numbers right against in, in a unique situation. But uh, for a team that was solid throughout, I think that the that, that team they had in 2014-15, <clears throat> you go back to a team that's you had Lacazette in fine form, you had um, a midfield with Gonalon, uh, Toliso, and Ferry. You had you had uh, Lopez in goal. Um, Samuel Mtiti was still there. You had. Uh, you know, even Clinton Angie, who, you know, again, who has had a less than stellar career in the time since. But, uh, you know, I think his pace and his ability playing Nabil Fekir, you had, um, you know, prior to getting injured, you had you had a really impressive team. Um, and, and that is because of academy players. Um, and I think that uh, by failing to foster these players growth, um, you've got five changes, um, you know, perhaps give some more opportunities to. Uh, to some of these other players. I mean, you know, bringing in the likes of Matteo De Siglio, okay, sure, you know, he's he's been a handy a handy presence, but, um, you know, is that the sort of move you should be making when there's <clears throat> perhaps opportunities to be given? Now, I know that there's not necessarily a, a, a good solid back. There had not been a solid ba- a solid backup plan for um, Leo Dubois uh, at right back, for example, and they experimented with Diamande there before bringing in De Siglio. Again, it's, it's that sort of thinking overall to me um, that seems to go hand in glove with Garcia and Juninho, and I do I, I do question um, their willingness to bring to give these academy players a chance. And I, I think you know we talk about René Laid again, and his 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 being frustrated with, with his situation. Well, it's the same thing, right? He's not an academy player, but he is he is someone who is brought in at a young age and isn't being given opportunities. Um, you know what's the end game here? I, I think we we really want to see Leon uh, develop in a more 
um, develop in a way that it'll, that'll foster more continuity. And I, I do have a little bit of reservations about how that's going. Yes, yeah, it does seem, you know, you have to say that's probably the one um, main area so far where where perhaps, you know, uh, you could argue now that now that the results are coming that, that, and, and the performances to a certain extent as well, that Garcia is incompatible with Leon because I guess his there seems to be a kind of incompatibility with with what he wants to get out of this team and that kind of identify that identity we associate with with OL of of you know um bringing through these 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 academy players from their from their world class academy and 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 developing developing those because that you know that seems to be yeah the the biggest kind of incongruity uh there um for sure yeah i mean again on the wake of a historic one when they hadn't won for 13 years at the Parc de France it is it is you know nitpicking a bit but um again <laughs> This club have been undone by a lack of continuity in the past. Um, and I, I mean, you know, I thinking about some of the players they've had to bring in on loan or, or as a sort of a desperate measure in recent in in, in the over the last decade. Um, yeah, I mean, come on, unless we want, you know, um, Miguel Lopez or um, they brought in a lot of players who have been sort of cut rate or or emergency measures. Steve Malbronk. I mean, you know, I, I think that. Um, they've really had their hands tied at various points in, in the recent past and had to bring in players uh, who are per- perhaps a step below what they might want to have because they've, they've realized that, oh, no, we've had to sell these players to, pro- to progress financially and we don't have um, reserves with the level of experience um, you know, to come up behind them. Moving on, uh, let's move on now to to, to Paris Saint Germain, just because I'm aware of, of being sure that we cover uh, have enough time to cover everything. Um, Phil, uh, PSG were were pretty poor in the final third. It, it has to be said. I mean, they had their fair share of possession, but um, in terms of the, I think it was the first half stat was that they completed 21 passes in the final third, while Leon completed uh, 32. So you know that, that's only two thirds more or less of what Leon were doing in that half. Their their problems seemed to be kind of um, having any coherency in that area of the pitch. How does how does Tuchel address that? Was that down to the system he was using, or or if not, what? Yeah, what? What? How? How is he going to manage to to kind of get more out of the team in that sense? I think it was down to the system he was using from the start, uh, which didn't work at all. So a three three four two one with only Virat and Paredes up against uh, very good Thiago Mendes, very good Paqueta, and extremely good Awa. And that basically gave a lot of confidence to to Lyon, who uh, who basically bossed the midfield uh, from the start and for the first uh, first half basically, because uh, I believe it is Diallo who came out first, I believe, and um, and basically every time Awar got the ball, he was uh, he was basically opening us up, and he was really uh, excellent at uh, trying to find Kadiwewe. Uh, between the lines, and there was also a, always a Diallo or a Kimpembe who was able to intercept the ball, uh, which meant that Cadereira was not straight on goal. And you thought, okay, if this ball doesn't get intercepted by the defender, Cadereira is on goal, and we're in trouble. As it turned out, uh, the goal didn't come from Awar, it came from uh, Kimpembe mistake, who gave the ball away to uh, to Kwekombi, and Cadereira scored a very good goal, and it was... Com- it was just coming. You just saw it coming. Uh, we were not playing well. We were getting bossed in midfield. Virati was an, an absolute absolute stranger 
probably one of his uh, his worst games for us for well, actually a decade. Um, uh, Paredes as well, but that's what you get when you get when you play three against two in in midfield. So there wasn't much. I mean, I, I would have uh, uh, straightened it out very early on with with Dimitri helping helping out. Uh, maybe play more of a of a three five two. But you know, as, as I said. Lyon deserved, absolutely deserved, and uh, it was coming. And just before the goal, I said, "All right, uh, the game's it, it wasn't a bad game. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a great game to watch, but it wasn't a bad game either." And you thought this game needs a goal, and uh, well, you all should get it because they, they deserve to score. And then once they get it, we're going to see the mental strength, uh, our mental strength, and see if we can get back into this game and change some some things. Problem is, uh, Lyon one 0 up. They were. Uh, they were confident. They were physically, uh, I mean, absolutely uh, no problems. The, uh, shall we say, the uh, state of mind was uh, extremely, extremely good. Um, I mean, I, I think, I think physically, there it was like uh, two, uh, two, two, two worlds apart, and, um, and it was always going to be. Uh, we were always going to be up against it, starting with that formation and, and playing the first half uh, we played. Given that Lyon played the first half, they played too. As in, Lyon were very good, and we just, um, yeah, just started with the wrong formation. Didn't change it for for a while, and uh, then it was um, it was it was an uphill struggle. So the, these, yeah. Phil, these these performances against against top sides in in Ligue 1. I mean, that's so that's Lyon now. Uh, PSG have also lost to Monaco and. And Marseille mm. so far this season, you know, whereas normally you, you you think PSG drop points in in games when they're complacent, when they can afford to be complacent in. But but you know these is this emblematic? These defeats in these matches are they emblematic of weaknesses in in the side or the way that Tuchel is setting the team up, or are they just in, indicative of the strength of the opposition this season? I really need to use my words very carefully uh, there because it's against Lyon, you know. Otherwise. Uh... <laughs> Maybe Eric would, uh, would would disagree with that. I don't know if it's complacent. I would call it complacency. It's definitely complacency against Monaco, um, against uh, against Marseille. Just uh, just sort of, just just not very good. Um, I don't I don't think Tuchel actually thought uh, okay. Well, this is only Lyon. We can beat them. You know, with a, with our eyes closed. I I seriously doubt he he uh, he thought that. But um, the, the game plan was wrong, and uh, Garcia's game plan was right. And Garcia is usually extremely, extremely good to uh, uh, when he has a, a game plan where he can he can sit back and uh, not have the ball all the time. He's uh, he's very good at that. He's knocked out Juventus with that. He's knocked out Manchester City with that. I mean, there's no there's no real uh, problem, um, and that's why you know this Lyon side have knocked out very good sides, and that's why at halftime you saw. Hmm, yeah, we're in trouble. We're in trouble, and I think it's a good thing. I'm sorry, but it, I think it's a good thing that uh, we we lose these types of game. It means uh, it's uh, it's a kick up the backside. And again, now I'm go- I'm going to say uh, I'm going to uh, to mention the Lyon not being in Lyon not being in Europe and us being in Europe because we both yeah we had the... a, we had a question about this actually, and 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 yeah, I was yeah. interested to see whether you thought that. Well, both of you, really, whether you thought, I, I guess we've discussed at length the fact that Leon aren't in Europe this season, the effect that uh, that has when they play on the weekends. But in this particular match, did you feel that the freshness that they had, especially as PSG ended up playing on Wednesday uh, instead mm. of Tuesday, do you think that gave them an extra edge here physically? Yes, of course. Of course. But I think the game, but uh, not only, I mean, 
had the game plan been, I mean, you, you can always always ifs and buts at the, at the end of the day, but to, to me, of course it has, because you could see the physical strength of Lyon and you can see the physical, um, uh, not so much strength, not as strong as, as Lyon from, from Piaget's side, and it's, it's starting to take its toll. Again, I, I honestly don't know where Lyon would be if uh, if it if they had qualified for for Europe. I mean, uh, we have to play the uh, the final eight. So did Lyon, and uh, yeah, then two two uh, two games uh, two games a week for a very long time for for uh, a lot of weeks. I haven't counted them. And uh, when you go on the international break, you have to play three games instead of two. I mean, it's a, it's a complete marathon. Uh, not saying so. Not saying that uh, it's because. We're in the Champions League and that you are not in, in either the Champions League or the Europa League, but it certainly helped. It doesn't help, but also you think that given the squad that Paris Saint-Germain have, especially, you know, the depth, I know they've maybe not necessarily added kind of an immense amount of quality to, to boost the first team in the last couple of transfer windows, but, you know, in adding Rafinha and Danilo Pereira in, in summer, you have extra depth in midfield as well. You know, it, uh, I, I struggle to see how it's kind of a... a I, I can understand how it impacted the, the way that the game panned out to a certain extent, but I certainly don't think it can be used as an excuse. Not that that's what you're saying, Phil, but I think there are some maybe that, that are that are saying that. Um, I want to move on quickly, guys. Um, we, we got Just, asked on... Oh, go on. Okay. Very, very quickly. The yep. red card. What do we uh, think? I think, yeah. I think it's... <laughs> that was I think my it's next question. Oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Go for it. What do you think? I think it's ridiculous. I think uh, I think it's a bad tackle. It's a bad foul. It's a caution. It's a correct decision, and then uh, the correct VAR tells the referee what to do. I think it's I think it's ridiculous. I mean, yes, yes, it's a bad tackle, and yes, he could have he could have seriously injured Neymar. And then it's what it's three weeks out, is it? I, I haven't seen the exact figure. I, I saw today that the, the scans have been the tests. PSG said that the tests were positive, so that's obviously yeah. very good news for them because it looks yes, it looks it, horrendous. Like, it's not six months, you know. Yes, exactly. It's not six months out, so you know, not the end of the world. But it's just, it's just, yeah. The referee makes a makes a correct decision. Then VAR says, no, uh, we want you to, we want you to send him off, and he sends him off. It's ridiculous. Anyway, Eric, thoughts on the red card? Uh, it, huh. I, I'm of two minds. I think that I think that I get it, but I mean that you know, it ends up being functionally a scissor tackle. Um, it, it could have been worse. You know, I. I'm not saying this in terms of like the protect the star thing that Neymar suffered injuries from, you know, or, or even going back to Falcao being injured in a, in a Coupe de France game a few years ago that there's not enough protection for players. But yeah, it was it was a dangerous tackle, and I, I think that you know it, the way that Neymar's foot be or leg be, ends up being caught between um, in, between uh, Mendes's two legs is is a problem. Um, <sighs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm I, I'm on the fence, but I, I I can see the referee's point of view in, in wanting to, the VAR team rather's uh, point of view in wanting to take to take retrospective action. It's one of those decisions that almost looks worse when it is with VAR because it, it you know it uh, it didn't even look like uh, Thiago Mendes studs made direct contact with Neymar. It almost looked like he he kind of as you say he scissored into him and then Neymar kind of rolled his ankle in in the fall. So I I you know I'm personally am not entirely convinced that it was a that it was a red card but I, I, as with you eric i think i can see why it was given and don't think it's a kind of extremely outrageous that that it was um psg uh, obviously were in the hat for the round of 16 draw which took place earlier today for the champions league uh, and they drew their old foes barcelona obviously famous for uh, the remontada of uh, 2017 i believe it was um phil 
taking away kind of personal allegiances, how do you how do you think PSG will be looking at this draw? Uh, with caution, <laughs> with caution, <laughs> because uh, since uh, yeah, since this uh, fateful six-one defeat, uh, I mean, I think even if we win the first leg, uh, I believe the first leg is at the new camp because we topped the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. So. Um, well, that doesn't uh, you know that that doesn't mean that we are always through if if we win the away game first because you know United and all that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a trauma is still very the the wound is still extremely extremely fresh. So even though Barcelona are not playing good football, uh, Griezmann is not used properly. Messi is uh, starting to get annoyed that uh, the uh, the midfield is not as good as it once was. Well, you know, when when it was when it was good, it was probably the best midfield that ever existed. So it's a bit difficult to uh, to to um, what's uh, to uh, uh, take uh, you know take. Uh, Sorry, I can't. Uh, I can't find the words. Um, There's been a drop to, off. To succeed, sure. yeah, to, to succeed, Savi in, in yesterday, it's you know, it's not exactly, it's not exactly easy. Um, so yeah, it's not, uh, it's not a great, uh, it's not as good a side as it once was. Would be quite interesting to see how Neymar plays against them. Would be, um, but uh, yeah, we should be confident of uh, going uh, going through, but uh, we're not basically. No. Well, it's understandable why, but it is an excellent yeah. opportunity to exercise those demons, especially given kind of how uh, how the season is panning out for Barcelona and the problems that you mentioned. Yeah, well, I would have taken someone, you know, less uh, traumatic. I mean, even if <laughs> even if uh, you know it's a nice time to play Barcelona, I wouldn't have uh, been against playing someone like uh, Seville or something. You know, even mm-hmm. though Seville are good side, it probably better side than Barcelona. It's just, yeah, it's, I... just a, it's just it's um, just. It's just uh, psychological. It's got nothing yeah. to do with football, really. It, it's just psychological. That's what I think makes it so exciting, and especially the Neymar element. You know, it looks like he will now be fit for that again after the kind of horrific scenes at the end of that match with him being stretched off. But it looks like it is nowhere near as bad as feared that that ankle injury. So uh, yeah, we hope that he will be back in a few weeks and certainly back for that one let's move on to the other big clash of the weekend where marseille hosted monaco uh at the velodrome it was fourth versus fifth going into the game marseille hadn't beaten monaco at home since 2015 when marcelo bielsa was still in charge of les olympia uh it was a frantic first 15 minutes which saw marseille race into a 2-0 lead other than a few moments and a few valiant Steve Mandanda saves, uh, Monaco didn't seem to have much uh, in the way of chances until a late, uh, winning a late penalty, which Ben Yedder uh, converted confidently. Um, but Marseille managed to hold on to their sixth straight win in the league, uh, two points, leaving them two points off first with two games uh, in hand to play. Um, Eric, Marseille had five shots in this one, just five shots, two on target. 39% possession at home. So, you know, by means, as we've come to expect, by, by no means a kind of dynamic attacking performance. Are they are they proving in matches like this to be the most difficult side to beat in the league, To would you say? To beat, not necessarily to come up against in general, but yeah, to, to break down and to defeat. Well, I mean, I think, you know, there's, speaking of Leon, I think that there's a, a lot to be said here is that, in the, yeah, this the, the resources of this team aren't, Huge. I mean, we we saw that you know there was a, a bit of an imbroglio with uh, Villas Boas. Would he stay? Would he go? Um, 
him being frustrated with the signing of Luis Enrique in the summer. Um, Enrique with an H there, not 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 the former <laughs> or not the Spain manager. Um, but the this Brazilian winger come striker who is not even what Villas-Boas thought he was positionally. Um, but again, they have that resolve. They have that obdurate quality. He's improving players. He's, you know, notably uh, Duyek Larasar has improved. Um, and even even with, you know, some absences, you think of like think about Jordan Amavi, um, this team continued to be really difficult. I mean, uh, 10 goals conceded. That's the best defense in the league. Um, it's a lot of one nils. It's not pretty to watch. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that he's, you know, perhaps getting closer to finding a system that works. Um, I think that, you know, playing Benedetto and, and, and Tovan in, in sort of those free roles uh, is really effective. And I, again, Monaco sort of no, they didn't sort of they did play into Marseille's hands in this in this match. They they just mm-hmm. seemed uh, a little tired, a little lacking in, in sort of intensity that we expect from the principality side. I think Nico Kovac's uh, desire to press um, might be wearing on some of those players in a physical sense. Uh, be interesting to see what happens to them in midweek. Um, but I think, yeah, by and large, um, uh, Marseille just play with a level of resolve that I think is really uncommon. Uh, and that's what's making them so effective um, in the league. Uh, they they keep the things tight at the back and they don't uh, concede silly goals. Um, and again, this is, you know, lather, rinse, repeat for or at least domestically uh, <laughs> for, for the side, uh, for the way that the side played last year. Yeah, do, do you? I mean, do you think with that kind of resolve, you know, obviously they've, they've. I think it's fair to say that yes, they're doing very well domestically, and if they win both of those games in hand, they they will be clear, uh, clear at the top of the league. But you know, compared to perhaps the performances of Lille and Lyon, some of their domestic performances have been quite flattering. You think of narrow, narrow victories they managed to get kind of down to luck or perhaps again down to that resolve, but there's been nothing particularly flashy going going forward in an attacking sense or even kind of in 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 terms of building things up from the midfield. Do you do you um Phil think that Marseille have as good a chance as Lille or Leon in, in challenging PSG? Um, near the top of the table or do you think that perhaps those as I say those performances where the result has perhaps ended up flattering Marseille in terms of performance means that they they just don't quite have the same um, the same quality and the same nous as Lille and Lyon this season well I'm not going to compare sides who are in Europe and sides who aren't in Europe so I think it's uh, more it's uh, it's easier maybe not more fair but easier to uh, compare Marseille and uh, Lyon rather than Marseille and, and Lille. Although I'm pretty sure that Lille, if they find themselves in a very good position in March uh, or even end of end of February, beginning of March, and they'll have a, um, uh, a rough opponent in the Europa League, uh, then they'll say, OK, let's get, let's get out of there and uh, let's have a shot at, uh, at uh, winning, winning the title. So that would make them, you know, in the same situation as uh, the new and Marseille. But right now they've still got uh, the, the, the Europa League to, to play. Um, I think that uh, out of the three, Marseille are still the, uh, the weakest side in terms of uh, in terms of the amount of uh, of quality players. I think uh, Lyon. It's not to say that Marseille have a bad squad. They just uh, it's just that Lyon and Lille have a have a to me a uh, a better one. They say, um, out of the three, I would say Lille sure. has a, has the best. Um, 
so yeah, I think Marseille would struggle to get back into the Champions League. <laughs> this, is, this is why I always question uh, Mo on the, on the podcast or on Twitter. Uh, would you want to go back to uh, to to uh, to such uh, to such such a mess? And that the Europa League is maybe maybe best suited for Marseille at at this moment in time. Again, you can never you can never say what's going to happen the uh, the following season. What kind of recruitment is uh, is the shareholder going to uh, is the owner going to to spend uh, give money to spend? Uh, what's go- what's going to happen? But I, uh, as uh, as a Marseille fan, I would wish if I were a Marseille fan, that is, uh, I would wish for a Europa League uh, football um, because I think that that's also uh, some kind of trauma uh, for a side to uh, play six and lose. Lose five and uh, have this uh, quite unfortunate uh, European record. So yeah, I, basically, I, my <laughs> ranking would be sorry. <laughs> my ranking would be Lille, Lyon, and Marseille. Okay, thank you, thank you. I was just going to say that actually, you know, I think uh, I think Mar- well, obviously Marseille fans would would <laughs> would love another shot at the Champions League rather than the Europa League, even if perhaps their performances would be would be better in in the in the latter, but. Um, what you do have to credit Marseille with, I think, is is navigating that kind of, um, if not navigating Europe particularly well at all this season, they've navigated those kind of post-European fixtures well. I don't know what the exact stats are, but you know they they've um, they've unlike Lille, who perhaps have kind of struggled a bit more. I know they only re- they only lost to Brest, but they have kind of looked slightly more to struggle slightly more with their kind of post-European matches, whereas Marseille have looked solid. So they've shown that they can handle that side of thing. It's clearly it's clearly just the actual matches in Europe. That they are, they have been uh, been struggling with. Um, to move on to to Monaco, um, Eric, you kind of touched on it in what you were saying earlier in the way that the the side have been playing and the Kovac and you know we've I think we've praised spent a lot of time kind of praising the the this four four two that that he's been he's been favouring um, and clearly it's been very effective in certain matches. But um, do you think that with 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 this defeat and the defeat to Lille uh, last weekend, I believe as well that. That this that Kovac maybe needs to have a rethink in the way that he approaches these matches tactically against the against the quote unquote bigger sides in the league. You know, I get I get that we saw it work against PSG, but that's two matches now where this system has looked slightly less effective. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard because I think that without Cesc Fabregas, without Alexander Golovin, um, with you know, he doesn't really have a way to adapt things. Um, so he's kind of, you know, nailed his, his nailed his flag to the mast and uh, saying this is the way it's going to go. But if you have um, some subpar performances from from key players, I mean, he took off Benoit Barrios-Chile at halftime. Uh, he also took off Caio Ka- Enrique. Um, those are players who, when they were playing well, the team has done well. Um, now, whether that's actual fatigue or mental fatigue, talking about, you know, playing in this high intensity system that Kovac favors. Uh, I think remains to be seen, but it's certainly, you know, a compelling question um, in terms of getting the balance right. He has definitely, I think, by and large, improved a lot of a lot of the players, young players on this team. Looking at Badiashile, looking at Diop, Sofian, Sofian Diop, look at those two midfielders, Chalmany and Fofana. He's improved players. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, it's also up to him now to show these young players um, if things don't go well, I don't think that they were necessarily outplayed against Lille. I think they made mistakes. Um, and I think the same is by and large true for this account, uh, for this, this account, for this match. Um, <laughs> and I think that, um, I, I think that it, 
you know, while Kovacs can get improvements in terms of the player's technical ability and, and quality, um, I think the next step is, is showing these young players uh, how, to, how to display a level of resilience and, and how to adapt. Um, again, we should not undersell uh, the absences of, of Golovin and, and Kovacs, the ability, or sorry, absences, sorry, the absences <laughs> of Golovin and Fabregas. Um, you know, I think the ability to inject a little bit of creativity into that midfield and, and switch the system is really important because right now they're playing without uh, any sort of creativity in, in central areas. You know, Chalmany and Fofana are, are, are good players, um, but I think a lot of what makes them successful is their energy and their action and their bite and their snap. Um, you know, if Fofana can pick a pass now and then he's, he's more creative certainly than Chow many, but I think that, you know, the class of Fabregas, even, even if he's not, uh, you know, necessarily adept at playing over 90 minutes, I think we saw his, his substitute appearance against PSG, for example, uh, his pass for even for Pellegri last weekend against Lille, um, that level of creativity, I think is something that's sorely missed. Um, and that, yeah, I think Monaco can, can get, can, you know, set to battle again once they've got, um, one of, one of here, Golovin back. I mean, Golovin should be back soon. Uh, Fabregas, I think from my understanding, he was rested as a precaution. So, you know, hopefully things can, can come off a little more smoothly. Um, and you, you know, and he can sort what he, what he sees as needing sorting with, with the likes of Betty Achille and Henrique. So in, in, with that in mind, in, in the next time that Monaco have, a, uh, I guess, the quote-unquote big match against one of the uh, st- other strongest sides in the division, would you like to see Kovac set the side up perhaps with a midfield three involving one of Fabregas or Golovin to start off the match? Mm, I mean, let's see what the fitness of those players is. I, I think, I think it, <laughs> the jury needs to be out on it. I think this 4-4-2 is effective, but um, it is... It, it is a system that works on very fine margins. And if mm-hmm. you have a, a player who makes a mistake, as, as we saw, uh, as, as we've seen, um, then it, then it becomes, how do you rebound from that? Um, you know, Monaco are home to Lens and, and away to Dijon in the next two matches. Lens have been bright enough this season, but, you know, if they can get six points and, and get that, that confidence back up, um, heading into the holiday, the, the holiday break, um, and, then, and they've got to close the year. They don't really have another big match, I would say, until they travel away to Montpellier, which is in mid-January. Um, so they've got a chance to, you know, you know, get four wins and a draw out of their next five, uh, get their confidence back up, um, and and sort of shake this off. I think that, um, again, I think that the cast of what Kovac has done over the course of the season is positive. Um, but now that they face sort of a, an initial setback, it's how do they respond? How does he get these young players' confidence up? How does he make the tactical tweaks necessary in bringing back in, say, perhaps a Golovin or a, or a Fabregas to make that right? I, I think the four four two makes sense. Um, I, I think that um, Joff in particular has been really impressive this season um, in that um, you know playing him in a wide role I think is better because he has Kovac has experimented with Kovac or sorry Kovac has experimented with Joff playing in a central midfield role. But I think he's far more effective on the wing as we saw tonight. So, mm-hmm. or we saw on Saturday night. So, yeah, um, I like the system. Uh, I think it's just it's just a matter of uh, keeping the level of mental focus that allows it to be at its most effective. Very interesting indeed. And the final uh, team we'll discuss uh, 
from this last weekend or a brief mention of another team who play a variation of a 4-4-2, I suppose, and the other of that kind of trifecta uh, of challenges uh, or potential challenges to Paris Saint-Germain uh, are Lille. Um, they were the other kind of big winners of the weekend, I suppose, in in going joint top with a 2-1 win over Inform Bordeaux, largely thanks to the brilliance of Jonathan Bamba. Um, they are France's sole other representatives uh, in European competition, and they drew Ajax in the next round of the Europa League, somewhat of a grudge match after the Champions League group stage last year. Galtier said he wanted Arsenal, um, claiming that that was the case so that he could have a reunion with Aubameyang, Pepe and Gabriel, of course, who've all played under him. But I think that's probably not the only reason he wanted to play Arsenal. Um, um Eric, is it, it's fair to say that Le Dog are in a stronger position than last year. What, what do you think they'll make of this draw against Ajax? Um, yeah, I mean, this should be fun. Both of these teams uh, like to score. I, I might give Lille the edge here. I think that um, defensively, um, you know, Ajax can be got at in, in a way that, that Lille haven't. Um, I think that, um, you know, they perhaps had some some bad luck. Um in their group stage matches, but, um, you know, yeah, I, I think this is an intriguing draw and I think it's going to be, um, a real test of Galtier's defensive now, which is something that he's been renowned for throughout his various stops in league on. And if he can, if he can sort of put the handbrakes on, uh, against IX, you know, there's, uh, there's some Europa league revenge to be had for Liga too. I mean, I think that, um, Leon not being tight enough at the back, uh, in 2017, uh, was sort of their undoing against Ajax in, in, in the semifinals. Um, so, you know, if, if he could be the manager to sort of break that hex uh, um, in terms of Ajax being so effective against league on sides in Europe uh, and attack, um, yeah, I think that the level of individual play that this club has is something really impressive. And, you know, as we saw, you know, Bamba can be sort of a one-man show. You've, you've also seen brilliant performances from Yilmaz, from Yazici. Um, yeah, I, I would give... It's hard to call one team a favorite, but I think that um, Lille proved uh, when the chips were down against the likes of Milan that they can go toe-to-toe with anybody. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, Ajax are obviously the, the more experienced of the two sides in Europe, but you have to say that, that Lille have, have shown they can go toe-to-toe with anybody, um, particularly in those matches against AC Milan. And yeah, Ajax, Ajax did win 5-0 over the two matches last season, but but Lille are looking a more complete side, I, I believe. And uh, it will be fascinating as well, the whole narrative of Sven Botman returning to play against his uh, former side. Sven Botman obviously looking like one of the signings, certainly one of the defenders, best defenders so far this season. So um, I think Galtier's side have a good chance in that one. Um, it's non-stop action um, everywhere at the moment in this congested schedule. And the Ligue 1 is no different with a round of fixtures on Wednesday. Um, obviously, uh, time uh, restraints uh, are in very much in play. But it would be great to get uh, your thoughts, guys, on on a match. Perhaps each of you pick a match that you're looking forward to this this Wednesday. We have a perhaps no kind of huge uh, head-to-head clashes. We do have uh, Marseille who play Rennes. But yeah, if I could get each of you uh, to kind of give us a brief preview of a of a game that looks particularly interesting, uh, be that for a kind of particular narrative reason or reason in the table. Um, yeah, we'll start with you, Eric. What's uh, what's taking your fancy on Wednesday? I, I mean, I, I'm going to have to be watching whether I like it or not, but, but uh, Leon versus Brest. Um, I think that, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a test of Rudy Garcia's ability to make sure that this team aren't dismissing Brest. I think that Brest have been sort of a breath of fresh air this year. We've we've seen Olivier Dalio 
play over the odds in, in recent seasons with Dijon. Um, he knows how to get a team to be a coherent attacking unit um, and bring in likes of, of Steve Mounier and getting improvements from, from Cardona and Roman Fev. I think has has been really impressive. Um, you know, you've also got in in, in uh, Romain Poirot, a player who's probably been the best left back in France this season. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that's that's definitely one for the neutrals uh, because Brest, you know, as exciting as they've been uh, going forward, they're they're also pretty leaky at the back. Um, and I think that you know you could have a if if someone's in the mood for Leon, maybe a rare start from Moussa Dembélé, and he. He gets a bit between his teeth. Uh, yeah, I think this match should should excite. Yeah, I'm particularly intrigued about that one as well. And you know, it would be it would be kind of typical of 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 these kind of big clashes. You know, these big wins against PSG. Looking looking back to Marseille when they won the Classique in in September. I think they went on to lose then lose their next uh, game against Saint Etienne, which was only a few days later, two 0 So it would be you know typical of this whole kind of excitement over over a potential title race this season were Lyon to 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 lose here. But you know they they are in very good form indeed and breast an exciting side. Phil, what about you? What are you looking forward to this week? I'm looking forward to Monaco versus Lens. Both sides um, not boring to watch. Everything, always something happening. Uh, honestly, uh, both of them. Uh, some, you could say both both have a leaky defense. Um, so yeah, I think this uh, this 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 will be uh, the one where yeah, let's uh, let's say that this one will be where there'll be most uh, most goals this midweek. Bold yeah. statement. Bold statement indeed. Interesting. Well, we certainly uh, hope to see that. Um, finally, then today, um, I just wanted to touch uh, with you guys on the latest developments in the Media Pro debacle, the French football farce, as we're calling it here at GFFN. Um, on Thursday's preview show, Lewis McParlane spoke to Kale Stockwell, uh, who gave a brilliant overview of the situation from start to finish so far. Um, discussing uh, what's happened and the potential ramifications. So we won't be doing that here, but definitely go back and, and listen to that if you haven't already. Um, but I'm sure you're aware, listener, more recently that um, they've, uh, uh, in case you hadn't seen that, that the Media Pro uh, Ligue new domestic rights holders have been unable to or refused to make their last two payments uh, as part of Ligue shiny new TV deal that was meant to be bringing in 1.15 billion euros a year for the next four years, a deal which presented several red flags, it's fair to say, uh, that was seemingly disregarded by the LFP. Um, and, you know, especially as clubs then went ahead and spending, I still and went spending, I still think of that Seco Fofana transfer to Lons for about 10 million euros, you know, and I think that kind of move was typical of the excitement with this new money coming in that hasn't come in yet. Anyway, as a result of this and their ongoing financial difficulties, their dedicated uh, TV channel streaming service, uh, Telefoot, is set to be shut down, which will leave many jobless, uh, many more without a way to watch most league on matches and is emblematic of the failure of this deal um, in a broader sense, which will, of course, have big ramifications for French football. Phil, given that you're on the ground for us in France, what's the latest with uh, Telefoot? Uh, talk. There's talk, obviously, of the channel shutting down um, before. Well, there was talk of it shutting down before the weekend. What's the latest there? Well, first, don't worry about uh, about us uh, not being able to watch French football games. We'll find a way. That's not <laughs> that's not a problem. Uh, there's not there's not going to be any games that will not be broadcasted 
I neither uh, Canal Plus or uh, Telefoot. Uh, basically, when Telefoot stops, Canal Plus will take the um, the reins. Being are not interested, um, and RMC Sport uh, have been broadcasting Champions League and uh, the Premiership. So basically, if you want to watch the Premiership, you have to have RMC Sport. They actually co uh, they, they actually uh, share the rights with Canal Plus, but that's uh, for you know not a story. Not really here to mm-hmm. discuss uh, Premiership rights in France. Um, so. I, I honestly see this as, as ending like Telefoot leaving as soon as possible, but Canal Plus, uh, who are part of a major group, uh, so a listed company, I mean, you know, massive, massive stuff, uh, they are in no hurry to, uh, to take the, uh, uh, take the uh, leap. By the right. The reins? Oh, the reins, yes. Thank you. That's what I was. <laughs> that's what I was looking for for Xavier and Yesta. Yeah, take the reins. Thank you, Eric. Um, it's uh, they know her because the more they wait, the less they have to pay. So basically, how I think this will this will go on is that uh, by December thirty first, Telefoot will say, okay, we're we're still going to broadcast, um, and uh, Canal Plus will say, okay, we'll take we'll take it from here. Uh, somewhere along the lines in 2021. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say that it will happen on New Year's Day, uh, but I'm pretty sure it will happen very very soon because uh, how clubs are being paid. Basically, these days it's uh, the state who gives a uh, uh, state back loan to uh, state back loan to uh, to the clubs, and uh, well, actually, the, the league makes a state uh, state back loan to to the government. They get the money, and then the league redistributes most of the money because you know they have to keep some um, to the clubs and that's how the clubs are actually paying the paying the wages now I mean I don't really I'm, I'm not really uh, worried for the journalists uh, for the uh, I mean really really talented professionals who actually uh, quit their jobs to join Telefood because I mean yeah I think I think they're, they're pretty good and they'll find find jobs uh, because that's that's a big logistical problem that Canal Plus is uh, is facing because they have to they, they broadcast two games uh, a weekend and they're going to go from there from here to broadcasting every single Liga and Ligue 2 game which is a, which is a big ask because they have to recruit a lot of people they have to recruit not only the journalists they have to recruit the technical uh, the technical guys uh, who do who do the, the cameras the televisions and all that I mean it's uh, it's going to it's going to take a while but basically what's going to happen is that Telefoot is going to to leave us uh, no tears shed and uh, Canal Plus is going to be back uh, where it used to be, uh, being as uh, the uh, sole broadcaster of French football in France. Well, and, and, all, and, and all will be well with the world. All will be well with the world. Well, you know, we, we should add that, you know, we still don't know exactly how things are going to pan out. And yes, in theory, you know, that could be a, that that might happen. But, you know, it's it's with regards to the, the you know, Canal Plus getting buying the, those rights and, and snapping up those journalists. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, it's still a very uncertain time for many and for for french football too i mean i mean i mean eric if 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 phil you know kale did kind of touch on this in the the preview show but if 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 phil is right and canal plus do kind of snap up the uh the tv rights um you know they'll be grossly underpaying compared to what to what media pro um initially promised the lfp and promised the leagues so um surely there will be you know there will be significant ramifications there surely surely not i i think phil said all will be well surely not not all won't be well in that scenario no i mean 
you know, as you as you touched on, I, mean, I think that the expectations that the clubs have had for their budgets this season were made with those figures in mind, and and I think we we did see a lot of spending from you know uh, the likes of a Lorient or the likes of a Lens, these promoted sides. Um, you know, bringing in players, Strasbourg bringing in Habib Diallo. I, I think that those moves, you know, spending eight figures on a player, smashing club records across the league, um, were being done with an eye on with an eye on this money. And for the clubs that were more austere, like look at the Saint Etienne, maybe or a, a Bordeaux or a Nantes, um, maybe they're a, they're an idea, to, you know, towards longer term financial stability. And I think that I, I think that that yeah, that we. We could see some very serious, very serious situations um, from clubs that don't have, you know, other streams of revenue, um, and and who are operating, you know, you know, without the exposure that comes with, say, a European match, or, 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 you know, or are relying heavily on match day income. Um, so I, I think it's a, it's a real problem, especially for some of those clubs who who are, you know, storied. Um, like a Lens, like a Strasbourg, who are integral parts of the story of, of French football and who might be really under the cost financially um, in the months and years to come as a result of, of this deal having having collapsed, or this arrangement having collapsed, I should say. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, I, 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 I've, I am seeing kind of relatively mixed reactions. But, you know, we had Rams, Rams president um, Jean-Pierre Caillot uh, come out recently, I think it was, and say that, that you know, clubs, if the, the, the situation isn't improved, then clubs could face ban- bankruptcy in, in January and February. And, and again, I know that's something that, that Kale Stockwell said on the on the podcast on the previous show the other day that, you know, he didn't think it would come to that. But, you know, the, the clubs have spent money, as you say. And, it, and this it, effect, will. Yeah. it will come to that. It will come to that because clubs, clubs uh, I mean, not wealthy clubs, but clubs that are bought by industrialists, local industrialists. You mentioned Reims. I mean, Caillou is a, is a very wealthy businessman uh, in the uh, Champagne area. Uh, so you know he's got uh, he's got money to spend, but even with that, uh, a lot of clubs have gone bust. I'm talking about uh, about Le Mans, about Grenoble, about Arlevignon, uh, Toulouse. Toulouse went uh, spent a few years in Division Three as well. They went they went completely bust, and, and it's it's just nothing new. Honestly, it's a liquidation judiciaire in France. It's just it just happens. Uh, it almost happens every every two seasons. Bastia is, is the is the latest example. So it, it's going to be a complete mess. Uh, but I don't know how the DNCG. Yeah. But still, I would say these are different situations, right? Because mm-hmm. I know but this is even worse. Yeah, but, that's, but uh, there's nothing. Okay, but if a club overspends, they overspend. Mm. But but this is this is income that they're expecting to get and is taken away from them. The rug is being pulled out from under these. And they're not getting it. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is it's not because you know uh, Bastia has to play behind closed doors and they struggle financially or. You know, Strasbourg spend over their means in the early 2000s, what, whatever it is, or, or Toulouse the same. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's an entirely different situation. The, the rug is being pulled out from under these clubs, and I think in a way that's relatively unprecedented in the history of televised sports and media, as far as I'm aware. Um, well, you know, go knowing, ahead. The, knowing the DNCG, uh, I, I would hope that they would uh, see, see this. Uh, positively, shall we say, and say, okay, well, uh, you uh, you uh, you didn't overspend. You just uh, you just had had a lot of money for a couple of months, and then you don't have it now. You don't have it anymore. But I doubt it. Knowing knowing the uh, I think they'll because say the DNCG okay. is known for being so forgiving. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I think you know I think it's a it's a it's a very very bleak situation That's indeed, it. and, and what, one what, yeah. 
What I think, what I think, uh, what I fear is that uh, basically all of Ligue 1 will be in financial trouble, and I just can't see the NCG um, uh, disqualifying, um, disbanding the clubs the straight to non-league. Uh, you know, all of them uh, in just in one go. They'll just have to find a solution, and uh, I'm pretty sure it'll it'll then like um, all the industries that have been hit by the pandemic that. Uh, uh, clubs will pay will take state backed loans to to pay back uh, to to pay to pay the, the transfers and wages and it's going to be very very difficult indeed yeah indeed and you know regardless i as you say that that is a ludicrous scenario and you know you would think that that won't happen but certainly it's going to be a struggle and there are clubs in in league Deux who are impacted by this as well of course as as part of the the lfp um this the, and this this whole arrangement with broadcasting rights so who are, who are already struggling financially so you know is is a is a huge huge setback at the very least you know when french football look to be taking two big steps forward it is just you know a huge uh, step back and and you know we could talk about this for hours and I'm sure you know that there will be more and more developments but but um, you know as as I think the get French football news Twitter account tweeted you know uh, French football is the biggest enemy of French football this was all entirely avoidable and you know unlike some of these situations we've seen before with clubs this this is yeah this is was entirely self-inflicted and um, yeah what a mess um, but we will leave it there um, listeners. Um, that will be all. Uh, thank you very much for joining me tonight, guys. Uh, as always, make sure you're following us at GFFN on Twitter for all the latest news from around the world of French football. Please check out our website, getfootballnewsfrance.com. I'm Jake Smales, and I've been joined by Eric Devin and Philippe Bagiel. Stay safe, enjoy the football, and have a great week.